Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Listen. Let me show you how we kicking it. Lacing up my cleats to chase a goal. Been like Beckham, but we never fold. Let me show you how we kicking it. Baby, you ain't working how we working. Scoring like a 10 up on my jersey. Let me show you how we kicking it. Stay up in the field, we going hard. Pray we never see a yellow card. Let me show you how we kicking it. So if your feet can plant it to the ground, we'll go ahead and put your hands down. Let me show you how we kicking it. What is up, you guys? My name is Jess Lazo, and you are kicking it with me on the Women's College Soccer Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Welcome to episode seven of the podcast. Today, I wanted to discuss the importance of building your strength as a college athlete and specifically as a college soccer player, whether it be through lifting weights, body weight exercises, or proper nutrition, it is crucial to have optimal strength when you are competing at the college level. That being said, I wanted to bring someone on the show today who has a lot of knowledge on this topic. So without further ado, I want to introduce DePaul's strength and conditioning coach, Ryan Nosak. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ryan. Hey, Jess, really happy to be on. Thanks for having me on today. Um, Hopefully I can provide your listeners with some um, important yet uh, recommendations that they can start performing immediately. I hope it's very valuable for them. Yeah, of course. I, I am 100% positive that you will be providing great information on this show. So um, my first question for you is just in general, what is the importance of lifting? What are the benefits? This is this is a phenomenal question. I'm glad, I'm glad we start off with this. And Like I'm going to specify my answers to the women's soccer world, but when I look at why lifting is so important for you guys, I usually think of like three main things. Number one, it's going to be increasing performance. There are numerous scientific papers, research, evidence of when somebody resistance trains and they get stronger, it also helps improve all other qualities. So these qualities are things like conditioning. So if you get stronger, you actually will have a higher capacity to train as a soccer athlete. If you get stronger, it it could potentially help make you more mobile and make you more flexible. Um, And in in terms of, you know, we always think about strength associated with weights. Well, we're also should be able to increase our speed. We're going to increase our power, anything like that. Those are huge components of being, um, an explosive or strong athlete. The second thing is going to be injury prevention. And this is huge, right? Um, I want our athletes to be strong. I want them to be fit. And, and that's, that is a really important thing, but I also look at the balance of overall muscles. So as a female soccer athlete, are we training our glutes? Are we training our hamstrings? Are we promoting, um, proper knee tracking when we're squats and we're doing single leg movements. And then I think the the last part that people sometimes forget is confidence. I think the weight room is one of the best confidence builders for athletes. And I am a big proponent of trying to keep it in all year round for that reason. You know, like let's use the pull-up as an example. If when you start training, you are doing a pull-up and you know, you're somebody who's struggling with that the day that you finally can do a pull-up. I mean, that's, that's such a, achievement right and we need to celebrate things like that 
Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you because I mean, I do think that weightlifting does come into play with confidence because I've definitely gone through, let's just say hang cleans, for example. And yeah, you have to be physically there, but you also have to be mentally there. And, um, I feel like once you get your mental game down and you achieve a certain weight goal that you get, like, I think that it brings so much confidence in, um, like in weightlifting and off, like out of the weight room, you know, and on, and then it goes into play on the field. So I totally can resonate with that. Um, and, um, yeah, so another question for me is, um, just in regards to the importance of soccer players lifting, what do you implement into their weightlifting workouts in order to achieve the speed aspect and just overall building the strength? Yeah. So I, you know, if we think about like what I have you guys do for your summer packets and your winter programs, there's always a big emphasis on sprint training. And I would, I would probably consider that to be like the Holy grail of exercises that I think every soccer player should do. And then when we talk about sprinting, I don't mean like going for a run around the field, like at a, at like a leisurely pace or going for a jog around your block. I mean, sprinting for as hard and as fast as you can for anywhere from, you know, three to 10 seconds. And that's like, that's such a valuable part of the, of the game because we want speed, right? Speed is going to get you to the ball faster. It's going to help you defend against your opponents. Could potentially help you score a goal faster, any one of those things. But also speed training is possibly one of the best aspects of getting an athlete stronger as well. When you sprint, it's roughly seven to eight times your body weight on one leg. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything in the weight room that's going to replicate that, right? If you're, if you're squatting and you're squatting 200 pounds, maybe that's 1.5 times your body weight, right? Like how, how, how am I going to load up anybody to equal that to sprinting? Mm-hmm. That's why I always stress that because sprinting really is the, probably the best pr- prevention tool for keeping your knee safe or keeping your hamstring safe. Um, from a weight room perspective, you know, we, we have a very similar pattern that we go through. We have our warm up, we, we hit our activation exercises, and that might be activating areas like our glutes. Um, our hamstrings. Maybe we're doing some ankle work, um, knee-specific targeted work that involves our quads, and maybe something with our core. You know, our warm-ups typically take eight to ten minutes doing the smaller exercises. Then from there, we usually do some type of an explosive movement. We we utilize a lot of the Olympic a lot of the Olympic weightlifting movements, specifically the hang clean. So that's why with with your team, we do the hang clean quite a bit. Um, we'll also do explosive jumps at the beginning of the workout. We might do like a box jump. We might do like a single leg hurdle jump Ever any, any one of those types of, of movements. Then we're usually going into some type of lower body strength movement. That might be a front squat. That might be a RDL. That might be a single leg RDL, a split squat. And then we're always getting an emphasis of the upper body as well. So that might be an upper body push, like a bench press or an incline press, might be an upper body pull, like a pull up or a row. And we usually end our sessions with extra glute or hamstring work as well. So I mean, most of our sessions, you know, they're 45 minutes to an hour long, and we're really focusing on probably five main movements. Mm-hmm. 
How does um, how does the progression look in regards to these movements? Yeah, so I'd say like if if you're somebody who's starting off with weight training for the first time, what you want to make sure that you you have is your technique. So when we bring you guys in in the in the early part of the season, we're working with lighter weights, and there's a high emphasis on technique. We're making sure that we're squatting to a full range of motion. We're making sure that when we're hand cleaning, we're actually leading with our feet and not just pulling with our arms. Um, we have control and our proper, our, the, the muscles that we want to target are doing the movements. So in the early part of the year, when it's not the season, let's call this like January, we're, we're typically going to be working with lighter weights. We're going to be doing more reps. That's probably in the eight to 12 range. And that's going to help put a little bit more size on you, but it's also going to help teach you proper movements before we go into heavier strength training. So we might spend about two to three months, maybe working with some lighter weights for more reps. And then we're going to transition to uh, heavier strength training. And that might be done more in like the three to six rep range. And, um, you know, depending on the exercises that we do, we might start with easier exercises like a goblet squat and progress to something like a front squat. There's also times with, with you where we've done clean pulls to progress you into the actual hand clean as well. Mm -hmm. So I know that that is typically what we do in the winter with our three days a week. Um, and I know that we had the opportunity to also do that um, this fall because our season got canceled. But typically when we do have a season, we don't really have a lot of time in between games and practices to get in a heavy lift session. So what are the alternative exercises that you'd prepare in order for us to um, maintain our strength throughout the season? This is a great question because in season, an in-season weight training program is going to be very preventative, but it has to look different than what you're doing in the off season. There are so many stressors on your body during the season. Mm -hmm. I can't have you come into the weight room and, and train really hard for an hour with a lot of reps and or something that's going to get you sore. So like when we're in the season, we may have only one or two sessions a week. And those sessions may only be like 20 to 35 minutes long, but we're still hitting an element of that warm up where we're going to target those smaller, much smaller muscles that I had mentioned, kind of in like an activation sequence. And then maybe we're just focusing on two major movements for the day. So like last season, we would come in and we would do our hand clean as our major lift. And we might pair that with like a single leg jump variation. And then our second movement may have been like a front squat or a, 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 hex, like a hex bar deadlift where we're still training our strength, but we're probably doing it more in the two to five rep range. So we're not putting a lot of stress on the body. I want us to be working with heavier weights during that time because it will help keep you healthier on the field, but it's, it's, I just don't want us like failing with those weights. So it shouldn't be a weight that's super heavy where you're having to like grind through the rep. It should be something that you can execute explosively. And I think that helps transfer better to, to on-field performance because we are keeping you explosive and powerful without making you slow or, or, or uh, sore from any like the rep work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. And also on top of that, I remember we also would do like light circuits to get our blood flowing. And I thought that was always really beneficial as much as like push-up holds were brutal. I think that at the end of the day, you're like, they're only helping us because 
it's better to get your blood flowing rather than just sitting around and thinking that you're recovering, but you're only getting tighter. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, you reminded me of something great. So when we were doing that split, we were doing the Tuesday strength training session. Mm -hmm. Then you guys would usually play like a Thursday and a Saturday or a Thursday and a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So the Friday we would do the circuits that you have mentioned. And I think that is phenomenal because it is a form of active recovery. Like you talked about and doing low level exercises where we're also getting mobility work, but we're getting some core work. Maybe we're getting like this might be like body weight squats and push-ups, like you said, various holds, but now we're getting blood flowing throughout the entire body. So that's only going to promote recovery and probably get your legs feeling better for the next day of practice or the game, whatever that might be. A lot of times people just like to like sit down or like lay down the day after like a heart, a heavy match or a game, whatever that might be. But like just getting that blood flow can be really beneficial and probably make you feel better. You know, so it's, I think it's also like a mental stimulation as well. Yeah, exactly. I totally, I totally can resonate with that. Um, <clears throat> moving on, just um, besides lifting, I know that you mentioned like speed work earlier. What are other play or other ways you um, allow your players to get faster and stronger? Like what do you implement into your players regimen in order to do that? Yeah, I think it's important that as a soccer athlete, you also look at your your forms of aerobic conditioning as well. And aerobic conditioning is so important because it's basically the base of of everything else that we need. And when people think about aerobic conditioning, they often think about like going out for a mile run or going out for like three miles, whatever that might be. With, With our team, I've tried to bring it down to where it's more of an interval style approach. So something like our tempo runs. So tempo runs have been a a staple in our winter programs and our off season summer programs, preparing us for the season. But what a tempo run is, is it's basically a controlled stride. That's roughly about 60 to 70% of, of maybe a max sprint. So it allows you to work on sprint mechanics at a slower speed, but we're also simulating many aspects of the game because you're, you're, you're starting, you're stopping, you're starting, you're stopping, right? Oftentimes we would do these tempo runs with a one-to-one work rest ratio. So if you were running for 20 seconds, we're usually going to rest for 20 seconds. And, you know, the progression with that is similar to lifting. Like what we would start off with, with lower distances. So this, this fall, for example, you guys were coming back in after the, all the COVID protocols. So we started your tempo runs, I believe at 75 yards. And then over time, over the winter, we built that up to 200 yards. In the past with summer programs, I've had your summer program start around hundred yards. We've built up to 400. But I think that form of conditioning is, is beneficial over the long term because now not, also, not, also, uh, not only are you improving your heart and your overall like work capacity, but that actually will help you make a strong, that will make you into a stronger and more powerful athlete as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you said that obviously you implement the fitness packet and also the um, other workouts we do in regard in the fall and the spring seasons. So what is going through your head when you're kind of putting together these workouts and how do you just in general make up these workouts? Yeah. I mean, I always look at where I need you guys to need to be like, what's the end. So I begin with the end in mind. 
So if it's January, I, I look at, okay, like I got to prepare you for the end of August when we're, when we're coming back in and it's preseason. So I build my approach backwards like that. And I know that, Hey, we're going to start with this approach where we're working with lighter weights in the beginning. Um, earlier on, you know, in, in like the January, February timeframe, when we're preparing for the season, we are doing like more tempo runs because that work capacity has to be built in the beginning because it's going to, it's going to prepare us for everything else. And I think as we're moving towards, let's say the spring months of April, May, June, that might be where we're starting to shift out of doing as much tempo runs and we're including more sprint work. Maybe we're doing some more change of direction work on the field as well. Uh, I know this past fall, you were having some elements of that as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important part because as a soccer athlete, you do need to know what it feels like to cut properly and change direction, but also not just like in a, in a pre-controlled environment with cone drills, but also from the reaction side of things, because that's what you do as athletes. You react to the ball, you react to your, to your opponent, whatever that might be. So I think including that as we, we get towards the end part of the, of the spring is really important. Um, and then over the summer, it's like, hey, I, I know that when we come back in August, we have to be at our most fit. So our conditioning does start to ramp up in June, July, and August. And maybe that's where we're doing four to five days worth. We're probably also including elements like our 15-15s, which are very difficult runs. That's where you're sprinting for 15 seconds, then we're resting for 15 seconds. And typically I have you guys built up to that to where we're doing four sets of eight of that over the summer. Uh, but I think having all these things combined is, is really like, that's where like the devil is in the details, right? Like as an athlete, you can't just sprint. You can't just, you can't just lift. You have to do all these things because these are all components of your sport, right? Like I can be somebody who's really good in the weight room, but I'm terrible on the soccer field, right? Like I need to work on that part of my game too. Well, how do I bridge those gaps as a sports performance coach? And I think that's where all these other elements come in. I have to know the demands of the sport, uh, what you're going through as athletes. That's why I always ask you guys how your bodies are feeling. How's everything going? Because there's sometimes I need to make adjustments to the day, right? If you're, if you're coming in after a really difficult practice and we have heavy squats planned for that day, maybe I need to make an adjustment to the load, to, to the weight that's on the bar, anything like that. So I think just having constant communication with the athletes dictates a lot of the training process as well. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I asked that is just, I find it so interesting how the whole fitness packet comes together every year, or just in general, the spring and the fall workouts that we do and the progression to get to where we are at the end. I just think it's incredible because you, you don't even realize how far you've come until you hit the, um, let's just say the tempo runs. Um, like we started at 75 yards and then towards the end, we got to 200. And I was like, wow, like I, I actually feel like pretty, pretty fit right now. Um, and if, I don't know, I, I feel like if I compare myself from in the beginning at the 75 yards, I don't think I would be able to say that in the beginning, if that makes sense, you know? Absolutely. For the, and for the listeners out there who maybe are beginning an initial strength program or an initial conditioning program, it's really important that you give your body the chance to adapt in the beginning. Definitely. So there's always this like work hard mindset and you absolutely have to work hard, but it's really important to work smart. 
And that's what I do really well for you guys is that I'm, I'm an objective, like an objective view of, of your sport where I can, I know where we need to start. And I know you can lift more weights in the beginning. I know you can run more, but the key is to give your body a chance to adapt to all these stressors that we're imposing. Then each week we're doing a little bit more, right? Like that's what it's all about. It's about the small continuous improvement, the small wins and the small improvements that we're making. That's what leads to the greater improvements and the greater wins over time. Instead of coming in on day one and running yourself you know, into the wall where you can't, where you can't do anything else. That's not going to be productive over the long term because you can't, you can't produce that same intensity and effort every single day, but providing uh, a consistent stimulus and effort that you can maintain every day. That's, what's going to make you more successful. I, I think that's funny because I think that also, I think that also the work smart, um, kind of piece also goes into play with just recovery. Um, so like how important do you think recovery is? Man, it's, it's probably like the number one thing to being uh, an available athlete, right? Like yeah. as an athlete, you want to be there for your team. You want to be involved in practices. You don't want to miss time. And I often think about players during a season I ask myself the question, are they underprepared or are they under-recovered? Mm -hmm. And I think the majority of our individuals on our team, it's not that they would be under underprepared, but they would be under-recovered. And, and I think it's difficult as a college athlete. You have you have classes, you have relationships, maybe some people have have jobs. Like you are juggling so many things. So when it comes to recovery and education, we want to make sure that we are doing our best to get sleep. That is the number one thing. Like if you're not sleeping, all the training I'm going to give you, all the, the cool recovery tools like Normatec and even nutrition protocols, they're not going to matter. Sleep is king. We have to make sure that we're doing that. Um, recommendations are probably eight to nine or eight to 10 hours for like for collegiate athletes. In addition to that, you know, I, um, I recently, I think it was probably two years ago with you guys, we started incorporating a lot of, a lot of meditation and, mm -hmm. and mindfulness. So after our training sessions, we would dim the lights in the weight room and I would put like headspace on where we, where we use the calm app and we would focus on that very slow breathing. So we would do three seconds or four seconds on the way in four seconds on the way out. And I would have you guys do that for like five minutes, right? But what I loved about that was, hey, we just got up for a really intense training session at 6.30 a.m. in the morning. We put a lot of stress on our body. Now, the rest of your day, I want you to focus on recovery. Well, how do we jumpstart that recovery process? We want to send our bodies back into rest mode. So that meditation, that slow breathing, and that relaxation state, I think that's really key. So if you are somebody who maybe like, you need to find some more ways to recover, try forms of meditation. It, it should be without saying at this point that hydration is one of the most important things. There are numerous studies showing that I think it's like 1% loss in water produces a cognitive uh, a decrease. So if you're somebody who needs to make game time decisions or like split second decisions, if you, if you are dehydrated, you are not going to be ready to make that play. Uh, I think with hydration comes the element of salt and sodium. Like I love those Gatorade packets for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you're 
having that before practice in the summer or of a very intense practice. And then your elements of nutrition, like you are burning so many calories as an athlete. You are always on the go. If you're doing a two hour long practice, then an hour weight training session, then you're also moving around, going to your classes. I mean, most female athletes are probably going to require, I'm guessing the 3000 to 4,000 calorie range during the soccer season. That's, that's a lot of food. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure we're providing our body with high quality carbs. The ones that work well for you, right? So maybe I say pasta, but if you're somebody who doesn't tolerate pasta well, maybe you're going the rice route, or maybe you're going potatoes. You want to provide your body with probably a good mixture of complex and simple carbs. So complex carbs are more carbs that would have fiber in them, probably come from the earth, like your like your potatoes, your, your rices, um, they're going to probably be more starchy forms of carbs, like your pastas. And then maybe after like a practice or a game, you might want to have simple carbs. That's more carbs that are coming from sugars. So like a Gatorade would be an example of that. You want to make sure you're getting lean protein. Um, for, for a female athlete, that's probably at least 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. It might be more depending on, on how much you're lifting, how much muscle mass you have, but that's probably a good rule of thumb. And if you are a meat eater, great. It's, 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 it's going to be easier to hit your protein needs. If you're vegetarian, if you're vegan, um, pescatarian, whatever it might be, maybe you're looking at more plant sources. Maybe you're including a plant-based protein. Um, maybe you're getting it from uh, beans, legumes, things like that. And then you just want to make sure that you have a healthy, a healthy amount of fats as well. Um, that's usually not a problem if you're having some meats, um, you know, peanut butter, your oils, like olive oil, things like that, grass-fed butter, um, any nuts in general, but that's really what it takes. Like it's, it's not as simple as me just saying like, eat these foods, but how much of those foods, right? Like how much water are you having salt with it? Are you sleeping enough? All these things go into recovery. It's, it's, you know, as much as the Instagram world will, will show you go into this ice bath or, or put these Normatec boots on, you know, that's only something that's going to create a small change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know that you mentioned like the carb piece, like the pasta and the potatoes. Um, do you recommend that before and after practice or before and after a game, or are you specifically referring to just after a game? Yeah, it's, it's going to depend on the individual and like how they feel. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot of athletes, maybe they don't feel great by having a lot of carbs before practice. Like maybe potatoes are too heavy or pastas are too heavy. I want to find something that they can tolerate that's still going to give them enough energy. So maybe for that person, it's in the morning when they wake up, it's having a bagel and a banana or a bagel and a piece of fruit, or maybe it's a, it's a bowl of cereal or it's oatmeal. It's just finding the carbs that work right for that person. Yes, I would recommend having them before practice because when you're practicing, your immediate fuel source is going to be your carbohydrates. You don't want to be pulling from your, from your protein source and use muscle. And then fat is a slower form of energy. It's, it's not going to prepare you well for the soccer world. And then I'd also say that when you are in practice, most of the fuel that you're burning is coming from carbs. So you are going to want to replenish that after. 
it's probably easiest to get something like a Gatorade or like those Gatorade shakes that we have, but then have a hearty meal at night. And again, whatever works for that individual, if they want to have pasta, then um, if, if bread is what works for them and you do want to make sure that you are including enough for, um, forms of fruits and vegetables in there. That's how we're also going to get things like micronutrients and minerals. You know, sometimes people talk to me and, and they're telling me that they're doing the, the potatoes, they're doing the rice, but they have zero green vegetables. So, you know, that's a really important part too, is that we need those things to function as humans, not only as athletes, but as humans as well. So um, it's really just like having a well-balanced diet. Mm-hmm. I also remember that you mentioned like fish oil or something that was really beneficial. Do you recommend us taking that as well? Yeah, I'd probably say if I had to think about the three um, minerals or vitamins that most soccer players, female soccer players would be deficient in, I'm probably going to recommend vitamin D first. Mm -hmm. And even though you guys get like a ton of sunlight outside during the summer, in Chicago, the sun starts to get, it's not as strong, so you're not absorbing as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially in the winter months, I would highly recommend it. And it's such an important aspect of building bones. So I had remembered like in the past, when I first started at DePaul, we had a larger exposure of stress fractures. And it's not that like vitamin D can prevent that, but I think it can help reduce the likelihood of something like that happening. Uh, If you are deficient in vitamin D, I think you're I, I think you're in danger for a lot of things like, like immune, immune problems as well. So that's something I would definitely recommend. Um, the second thing is probably iron and iron's tough because it's really found in like a lot of red meats. And I know that just from like most of my female athletes, they probably don't consume like that much red meat. So iron's super important because heme in the bloodstream carries oxygen. So basically like we, we, need, we need that to transport oxygen throughout the body. A lot of times people might feel fatigued and they may feel like they don't have enough energy and that could actually be an iron deficiency. So one of the best ways to look at that is to actually get some blood labs done and like a blood test and then see where your actual levels of iron are. You can do the same thing for vitamin D as well. So then you're not really guessing, you kind of know where you're deficient. I do think fish oil can help as well. Um, now, if you are somebody who eats fish daily, then you, you probably don't really need it. Um, but just like in the typical American diet, we have a lot of different forms of fat that aren't like omega threes. Omega threes are, are, are mostly coming from foods like our fish. We want to have those in balance. Uh, it does help with things like our heart health. It helps like with our brain health, but it actually can help decrease inflammation throughout the entire body as well. So I do think that like, if you want to be feeling at your best and not be like sore, have sore joints, things like that, I do think, you know, that could probably help with that. Yeah, that's definitely something to put in consideration. Um, I mean, I completely agree with the vitamin D supplement because I am actually um, someone who has experienced two stress fractures in my foot. And I think that lack of vitamin D is an issue that probably impacted why I got a stress fracture. So any listeners out there, I do recommend doing that because like you said, it does help with building your um, bone strength for sure. Yeah. And that was like in the, I think that was the winter, right? Or the spring. 
So like you probably weren't getting a ton of exposure to like the strong sunlight mm-hmm. uh, with diet, like unless you're eating a lot of dairy and that type of stuff, you're probably not going to be getting it. So yeah, it's cheap. You know, I'd definitely recommend it. Yeah, definitely. I think that my last question for you is just, um, we had talked about this a while back when I interviewed you um, during COVID, like when everything first got shut down. But for any listeners out there, um, obviously when everything shut down in the spring due to COVID and everyone was sent home, your athletes didn't have access to weight rooms or the facilities at the school. So how are you able to um, help your players continue building or maintaining their strength throughout the months? Yeah, so we we had a span where we were sending out um, five videos weekly. So we were doing it basically a, a video of myself recording an entire workout um, Monday through Friday. And it really just involved me getting creative as possible within my apartment. How can I continue to get you stronger or keep you strong during this time when you may have zero equipment? Well, the answer to a lot of that was focus on single leg strength as much as we could. So we did a lot of things like split squats. We did our pistol squats. We did skater squats. We did single leg hamstring curls involving involving a towel where we were curling that on like a tiled or a, a hardwood floor. Mm-hmm. We were doing our, our glute bridges, our single leg glute bridges. I think single leg strength was something that it's difficult by nature. Don't really need a lot of weight because you're pretty much doing most of your body weight on that one leg. One thing that became a a mainstay in many of our programs was we were manipulating our our rep speeds a lot. So we might've been doing five seconds on the way down or 10 seconds on the way down. There were times where we were doing like a five second hold in the bottom. There were times where we were doing a 30 second hold in the bottom. And all that did was it helped produce more tension on our muscles. So there's a lot of research showing that to, to progress in strength or progress in size, you need to take your muscles to failure. That's basically to the point where you can no longer do a rep. Well, most people, if they were doing like a body weight squat, that would be like 60 to hundred reps, right? It's not really economical for time or like most people want to do that. But if I take that person and I say, Hey, we're going to do 10 reps of that squat, but we're going to do each, each rep with a five second hold in the bottom wow, that 10 reps starts to become difficult very fast. So we would basically add like that, however I could manipulate the tempo of the rep, we were doing that for the exercise. Then, um, you know, we were just getting creative with all forms of core exercises as well, you know, involving a towel, involving the couch. Um, We were doing various forms of circuits as well to help maintain our conditioning. So a lot of the circuits that we would do, we would work for 30 seconds on, we would work, we would rest for 15 seconds and I'd basically have you do 12 exercises. And that was where we were getting all of our body weight work in, uh, pairing it with, with core exercises. We might've been doing cardio in place, like a jog in place, mountain climber, squat jumps, anything like that. And then I think as things started to shift with the weather and some people were able to get outside more, we were able to start doing some more running workouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then also, I guess one thing to add is on the days that we weren't strength training as hard, I would provide those active recovery circuits. And that's where we were, we were hitting elements of mobility, flexibility. I kind of try to make it like yoga flows in some ways where we yeah. were, we were 
we were doing things to train our, our ankles, um, our hip, our hip flexors, our adductors, you know, how can we keep those things mobile, but still get your heart rate up while we were doing that. So we were kind of, you know, getting those elements of yoga flow in there. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I mean, I really appreciated all of those lifts and, or the body weight lifts and circuits that you implemented because I mean, I guarantee everyone felt the same. I was very sore after a lot of those. And I, I mean, I feel like when I'm sore, I know that it did something for me. Um, and just in general, I, I just appreciate, um, you sending out videos and stuff, because I think that that was one part where I felt like it kept me motivated because those months were very hard. And I knew I needed to like maintain some type of fitness and strength. And I really think that you helped, um, me do that. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, I mean, I had a lot of fun and allowed me to go, allowed me to grow as a coach too, because I really did have to put my thinking cap on, you know, like I, I did research and talk to a lot of other coaches about what they were doing, but I think it's prepared me that if we, if we unfortunately go into that situation again, I mean, I'm confident that we can, we can maintain strength, you know, and that's what a lot of the research shows too, that if you are able to do those types of things, like I just mentioned, I mean, you can take your strength pretty far with that, you know, like as as much as the weight room is super valuable and it helps make things more efficient and easier, Mm -hmm. you you can get things done without it. So if you are somebody out there who doesn't have equipment right now or uh, a weight room or anything like that, you know, you can always reach out to me if you need some help or something like that. But um, yeah, explore like at-home workouts because you can make them super effective and they have a tendency to make you super sore when, when done right, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you say that you grew as a coach. I feel like I grew as a player too because during that situation, you have to get creative. Um, and I think by going through those workouts, um, I think we all got pretty creative during those months. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that, that's good. We got we to gotta continue to grow, right? That helps us grow as humans as well. Yes, for sure. Well, I think that about does it for our show today. But thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate all the insight that you provided. You got it. I'm really happy to be on here. So thank you for the opportunity. For any listeners out there, thank you for tuning in today. If you want to tune in next week, the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Music, and of course, Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V. Thanks for kicking it with me on the Women's College Soccer Podcast. See you next week. Yeah, let me show you how we kicking it.